Today we are in part two. Someone shout part two. We're in part two of our series called Saturate. And this series really stems from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. And it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The New Testament tells us that the glory of God is found in the person and in the face of Jesus. And I think that when we're looking at this city be saturated with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What I'm looking at is the goodness and Jesus flooding this area. All of West Bryan will be flooded as the waters cover the sea with the knowledge of God's goodness, God's love, God's grace, God's redemptive power, God's compassion. I want of all West Bryan to be filled until it leaks over to all of Staten Island, to New Jersey, to Brooklyn. You guys get more excited for Brooklyn. It's okay. Um, and I love this quote by Chris Hodges. He says this, before you find Jesus, your whole life, sabes que? My goodness. Here we go. Before you find Jesus, your whole life is about finding Jesus. But after you find Jesus, your whole life is about sharing Jesus with others. Your whole life is about sharing Jesus. In other words, before you have found Jesus, your whole life is about finding Jesus. But upon finding Jesus, your whole life now becomes sharing Jesus with others. And one of the things that we unpacked last week as we broke down part one is, let me just give you a quick review. Number one, we said that it is heart over command. A heart before command. Now, I think this is important to clarify here. I don't want anybody leaving this place and saying, Pastor Rose, say we don't have to worry about the commands at all. Come on, somebody. What I'm saying is, and again, can if I, can if I can hear myself a little bit more on the monitors. Can we give it up for John is in the building. He was our original sound man. We're going to get a shirt for John when it comes to all the hats that he's wore throughout the years. He's going to get the award. It's going to say, I may not be good at this, but I'm all you got. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Pastor Ruben is wearing that award. This award is just going to go for people that have filled in roles that they had no business in. Come on, somebody. It's like you never meant to be there, but thank you for stepping up. You weren't good, but we were all, you were all we had. Come on, somebody. Uh, we love you too. <laughs> uh, but we said heart before command. Right? We want to have the, the right heart posture when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith. We want to make sure that it is, we have the heart of God. When God gives us instruction, he doesn't just give us instruction. He wants us to know his intent. He wants us to know his heart behind the instruction. And sometimes we can hear a command and we can jump right into soldier mode and we can just want to follow an instruction, but then we undermine his heart. Does that make sense? And I think that you could follow a command but still miss out on the heart. The second thing that we said is that, hey, we're going to put serving before converting. It's not that we're not saying that we want to see people converted and people experience the love of God. We absolutely want that. But I think that one of the ways that we can see that happen before people will be ready to hear your message, they will be open to you serving. And I think sometimes the church needs to have a heart of serving even before converting. Does that make sense? Number three, we said life before words. Again, I want to give you some tools. I want to give you some resources so that you will feel equipped as you walk out here to share your faith with others. And I know in this series, I know that 
Sometimes we have a, a series that's a hollaback series, and it's a series that, I mean, God's going to bless you. God's going to prosper you. God's going to make a way where there is no way. Come on, somebody. I love those messages. But I also think that there's some messages that God wants us to hear that kind of stretch us, stretch us and kind of cause us to step a little out on the boat and walk in in faith. Amen? And so we said life before words. We know that the gospel message has to be preached. It is not just uh, living out a life. It has to be preached. It has to be articulated. It has to be expressed. It has to be shared. But I think one of the things that create an on-ramp for the gospel message to be shared is the way we live. Come on, I, I want people to look at my life and want more of Jesus because they've looked at my life. Does that make sense? Right? I don't want people to look at your life and be like, uh, yeah, I don't want that. They deal with anxiety the same way I do. They deal with marriage the same way I do. They gossip the same way I do. And again, not to say that the church is perfect, but I think sometimes the church just needs to be a proper expression that God's love works. Woo, I'm preaching better than y'all. Amen. Come on, that's just the review. I want to be in demonstration that God's love works. Does that make sense? And so even when I sit with religious folks sometimes, um, I want to be a demonstration to them that the grace message works. I don't want them to look at my life and be like, well, the reason that he's so emphatic about the grace of God is because he wants to live in a reckless way. No. Let me tell you, I pray more than you. I fast more than you. Come on, I see God more than you. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I've been whipped 48 times. Come on. But it's not because of my adherence to a command. It's because God's love has compelled me. Make sense? Okay. And so today we're going to be talking about, I want to share with you about a pattern. Everybody shout pattern. And so when we see evangelism taking place in the New Testament, when we see the Apostle Paul and the Apostles Peter and James and John, and we see them go throughout um, the known land at the time, what we will see is that they're leaving a pattern. How many of you know that Jesus doesn't give you an instruction alone? He also gives you an example. That God doesn't just give us an instruction. How many of you know that someone could give you an instruction and then you try to follow that instruction based upon your perspective and your understanding and you fail to follow the instruction because you were told but you weren't shown? Right? Jesus doesn't just tell us something. He shows us how to do it. I'll give you an example. Jesus says, hey, I want you to love one another, but let me show you how. The same way I loved you. Does that make sense? So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to command you to love one another, or I'm going to leave the standard of love so that you can love one another, but I'm going to show you how to do it. Amen? I'll give you another example. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, I want you to go into the known world, and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, when you go through the examples that are about baptism in the uh, book of Acts, what you're going to find is that nowhere in the book of Acts or nowhere in the New Testament do you ever see a disciple baptizing someone using and articulating it this way. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll never see it in the book of Acts ever. What you will see is what they understood when he said the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So every example you see someone being baptized in the New Testament is under the name of Jesus. So, which is to say that when you baptize someone in the name of Jesus, you're baptizing 
them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That makes sense. He, he gives us an instruction, but he also gives us a model to follow. And today what we're going to be talking about, what I've done is kind of, I've gone through the entire book of Acts this week. Because I want to go back to the pattern of the apostles. I want to go back to the pattern of the disciples. And, and I'm just going to use this as our opening verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power. Look at it, your neighbor, tell them power. Tell them power. No, but tell them power like you're from Brooklyn or something with a little swag and a little attitude. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be, here it goes, my witnesses telling people about me, Jesus, everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My message to you is simply this, and I, and I want to spend a little time really teaching today. Maybe it might be a preaching, you know what I mean? Teaching and preaching at the same time, come on. But I really just want to teach us today. And so I'm going to encourage you to take some notes. Okay, this, I really want us to learn what our model of evangelism here is at Christ Uncensored, which I really believe genuinely that it's the biblical model. My title is simply this, The Biblical Pattern to Successful Evangelism. All right. The biblical pattern to successful evangelism. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you're going to speak to us today and you're going to outline for us the biblical example of what it means to share the love of Jesus with others, what it means to share our faith with other people. Help us lean into more than just a command and an instruction. Help us lean into your love so that your commandments wouldn't be burdensome to us. But they would just flow out of who you have created us to be. We thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we give God a praise in this house? I'm losing. John, I don't know what happened to the sound, but I'm, I'm, I don't hear no monitors. And I just hear echo. So if we get raised me on the monitors. Uh, anybody excited for Thanksgiving coming up? Anybody? Excited for Thanksgiving. Um, uh, anybody going to cook for Thanksgiving? No. You know who's not going to cook? This guy right here. I am not cooking for Thanksgiving. But I'm super excited for Thanksgiving. Anybody going to cook ham for Thanksgiving? Ham. I heard John makes a mean ham. And so last week I, I shared a story about a starfish. And this week I'm going to share a story about some ham. Come on, somebody. I still don't hear myself in the monitors at all, John. It, it's, it was great. I don't know what happened. But, but uh, there's a story, and it's a famous story, and you might know this story a little bit, but this, this uh, story about ham is about, a, it really starts like this. It was a young girl who was watching her mom cook some ham. And the mom, as she was preparing the ham, right before she put it in the oven, what she would do is that she would cut the two ends of the ham and then she would place it in the oven. Well, the intrigued girl, she looks at mom, she says, why is it that you cut the two halves of the ham? How did, how did you, why did you cut them and then put it in the oven? Like, what happened there? And the mom says, you know what, I think the, the reason that we did that is because we wanted all the juices to be absorbed by the ham and so we used to cut the ends of the ham so that it could absorb the juices. But to be honest, I'm not really too sure why that happened. And so maybe you need to call grandma because grandma, now I hear myself a little bit. You can lower me down completely. Uh, thank you. 
Can we give it up for John one more time? We're just having a little bit technical difficulties. It's all right. Stephen, we forgive you for not being here today. It's all right. I know you're having vacation, but the gospel... No, I'm just joking. The Kerteris is our sound person is on vacation. Uh, but but uh, this intrigued girl, she calls grandma, and she's like, Grandma, you know, mom told me that you have this amazing recipe, that you make ham, and and... What she did was she cut the ends of the piece of ham right before she put it in the oven. And she told me that the reason that we do it is because we want the juices to be absorbed, but she wasn't too sure. And she was like, you know what? That is how I taught your mom, and that is the family recipe, and I've been doing it for so many years, and that's exactly how I do it, but I'm not too sure why. I'm not too sure why. I think it's because of that. But my mom taught me how to do it that way, and maybe if you ask great-grandmama, how to do the recipe, she'll tell you why is it that we do it that way. Well, what happens? She calls, she's persistent, she goes over, she says, great grandma, I heard that you created this recipe and I just want to know why is it that mom and grandma cut the ends of the ham before they put it in the oven? They told me it's because when you do that, it absorbed the juices, but they weren't really sure. She's like, sweet girl. She starts laughing, she starts chuckling, she's like, child, no. I just didn't have a big enough pan for the ham. <laughs> See, that's the reason. And I know this story has been told in so many different ways and so many things that we could extract from this story. But what I extracted from this story, isn't it interesting that we can follow a pattern over and over, but still not fully know why is it that we do it? That we could do something repetitively, we can follow a recipe, we can follow a pattern, but still not fully understand why is it that we're doing it this way. And I think that when it comes to evangelism, and I think when it comes to sharing our faith, I think when it comes to talking to other people about God and talking to people about Jesus, I think sometimes we've just been following a traditional pattern, but we don't really know why. And so the reason that we share our faith this way is this is how I've been taught to share my faith. This is how I've been taught to talk to people about God. This is how I've been taught about repentance. This is what I've been taught about the gospel. This is what I've been taught about how to read the Bible. And so we're just simply following a pattern. And what I would like to do today is really somewhat of what this young girl did. I want to go back to the originator. I want to go back to the original because I think that when you go back to the originator, there may be some details that have not been passed on. And so I want to go back to the apostles because when I look at the apostles, what I find is that the apostles had incredible success. And what I know about success is that success leaves clues. The, the, the apostles had incredible success. What I mean is that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of people being uh, executed, they were still able to see people come to know Jesus. No matter where they went, no matter where they were scattered at, they were still able to introduce people to the love of God in a way that it transformed cities, it transformed nations, it transformed governments, simply with the apostles sharing their faith. And what I began to do as I, as I saw the book of Acts unfold before my eyes is that I began to see these common denominators when it came to the disciples and the apostles sharing their faith. And there was, there was many common denominators, but I think that the ones that I found the most are the ones that I'm going to share today. And it's, it's simply this, and I want you to write this down, is these three areas. What I, what I saw over and over, it was there was some kind of power. Someone shout power. 
there was some kind of power. Along with power, there was also a proclamation of the gospel. Everybody say gospel. So there was a proclamation of the gospel. There was, there was power. But here's, here's the third one. There was also testimony. In other words, there was a life that was transformed. There was a life that was changed. There was healing that took place. And so over and over what you would see in the book of Acts where you see so much evangelism taking place is that you see the power of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of the gospel, and personal testimony. Are you following me? Let me give you a couple examples. Acts chapter 4 verse 7. You could lower me on the house a little bit, John, and you could raise me a little bit on the monitors. Acts chapter 4 verse 7. It says, so the disciples went and brought in before them by, in before them, by what power or by whose authority, raise me more on the monitors, by whose authority have you done this? The council demanded, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, someone shout power. power. Honorable leaders and elders of a nation, if you mean the good deed to the cripple and how he was healed someone shout testimony let me be clear and state to you and to all people of Israel that it was done in the name and the power of Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah the man you crucified but God raised from the dead someone shout gospel so there was a proclamation of the gospel there was testimony and there was power Let's look at that again in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Peter traveled everywhere, and on one occasion, he went to visit God's people who had lived in Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, something like that, who was paralyzed and had not been able to get out of bed for eight years. I'm going to skip that. Peter said to him, Jesus Christ makes you well. Get up, make your bed, and at once he got up and all the people lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. What did we see? We saw proclamation of Jesus. We saw in the name of Jesus. We saw power being displayed. And we saw, we also saw testimony taking place. Let's look at it again. Acts chapter 10. We're going to do a quick Bible study. Mama, Mama Fran's been asking for Bible study. We're going to do a Bible study. Acts chapter 10. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with, everybody shout, power. power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, by God, uh, by the devil. For God was with him, and we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death, this is the gospel, Hanging him on the cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God has chosen. Someone say testimony. In advance to be his witnesses, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Continue. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge over all living and the dead. Let's continue chapter 11. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution. So now the church is being persecuted. 
After Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria, they preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene and began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Gospel. The power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. What did we see? We saw the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw the proclamation of the gospel. And then we saw personal testimony taking place. So if we want to reach people the way Jesus did and we follow this pattern, what we're going to see is people getting saved, people being transformed, revival hitting a city when we follow the pattern. And it's not to say, listen to me, church, it's not to say that when we share the love of Jesus with other people, it doesn't mean that we're not gonna be, you're not going to be rejected. Because I think sometimes we're, we're so fearful of sharing the love of God because we're in fear of rejection. No, the truth is that no matter where we go, there are going to be times that you will experience rejection even by sharing the pure and unadulterated love of God with other people. The, the question that we're asking here, would you be rejected because you're sharing the pattern? I just don't want you to be rejected for sharing something that was never meant to be the pattern. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want us to understand it from that perspective that, that no, we will experience some rejection, but I don't want you to experience unnecessary rejection because the pattern that you're following is just tradition. And not what the scriptures teach us. Make sense? Okay. So here's, here's and, and again, I know that some of the things that we might hear today, we, we need to be able to disassociate Christianity from churchianity. That's my, that's my air keys. Okay? Be, because I, this is something that I had to wrestle with myself because what I realized is that there were things I, were ma I was married to. I was married to some ideas and concepts because this, is, was, this was mama's recipe. This was daddy's recipe. But I had to go back to the source. Someone say the source. We had to go back to the source. And what I realized is that there was a lot of things that I was married to, but they were just concepts that were found in a religious circle. They weren't the person of Jesus and what he taught his disciples. Okay. And so we have to be able to disassociate churchianity from Christianity. Because there's a lot of things that we find in the church, good, well-meaning well people that have passed down traditions, no harm to them, no wrong to them, no judgment to them. I think that they were maybe trying to be faithful to their calling, but it's just not found in the Holy Scriptures. Follow me? Okay, so here's the first one. Let me, let me break this down. And again, I just want to teach us a little bit today. Uh, come back next week and I'll preach the paint off the walls. But today I want to teach a little bit, all right? Um, here's the first thing. Everybody shout, power of the Holy Spirit. Look at your neighbor, tell him you got power. No, no. <laughs> tell him like you actually do got power. Come on, somebody. Hey, you got power. You got power. Johan, you got power. Come on, somebody. Maylene, you got power. Come on, Sarah, you got power. Jasmine, you got power. Don't make me shout everybody in this room. You got power. Look what he says, Acts chapter 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes into your 
life. Listen to me. When it comes to evangelism, what Jesus is saying is like, listen, I've given you a message, and I want you to share with this message with the world, but I need you to know something. You're not going to go alone. You're not going out into the world just to share some information, just to share some knowledge, or just to make a speech. You're going out into the world to share some knowledge, but you're not going by yourself. You're going with power. You're going with Holy Spirit power. Here, here, here's why. Because the things you're going to face when you go out into the real world cannot be resolved with a little bit of knowledge and with a, with a sophisticated speech. What you're going to need to face what you're going to confront in this world, you're going to need some Holy Ghost power. I'm telling you, there's some people in our life that they don't need a speech. They don't need more knowledge. What they need from your life is Holy Spirit power. When you walk into a place, you could see someone that's informed, and yet you could see someone who has authority and someone who has power. And I think what God wants to remind us today when we think about evangelism is that we don't just have information. We just don't have knowledge. We have Holy Spirit power. There's too much sharing of our faith that has been done with information and knowledge alone, but it lacks power. There's someone in your life that, that has anxiety that God has given you the power to release peace into their life. There's somebody here that's struggling with fear, but God has given you power to release courage in their life. There's some people in your life to have sickness but God has given you power to release healing in their life there's some people that are bound and are stuck but God has given you the power not just to give them information but for you to release power and authority and healing and freedom in their life come back to teaching okay sorry sorry I didn't mean to get someone shout power this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, he says, in my speech and my preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, my, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words or human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. In demonstration of spirit and of power. Paul was one of the most informed, one of the most sophisticated, one of the most articulated communicators. But guess what? He walked in power. He said, I didn't just come with speech and persuasive words and wisdom of humanity. I came with power. And maybe you're in this place and you're like, what do you mean like power? Like I, I don't even know where to start. Can I, can I suggest for you that you can just start one of the most, here, here, here uh, sharp turn right now to the real practical. Sharp turn. Here we go. Offering someone prayer. One of the greatest ways you can release power when you're sharing your faith is by offering someone Prayer, because what I've, what I've discovered is that there's so many people, what you might be surprised is there's a lot of people that may be hesitant to hearing you preach to them, but are so receptive to receiving prayer from you. I've offered prayer to atheists, pray for them. I've offered prayers to Jews, pray for them. They've received prayer. I've offered prayer to Muslims, they've received prayer. I've offered prayer to Buddhists, they've received prayer prayer you'd be surprised how open humanity is to receiving prayer and once they are receptive to prayer they don't know the power that you're injecting into the right. they don't even know like they just thought they're going to receive a kumbaya you know prayer but you came to release power and and transformation into their life and so and so and so one of the simplest ways that we can get started in releasing power is simply by offering prayer Maybe you're out to lunch with someone and the waitress, you see that she's, 
getting everything wrong. And what if, what if instead of saying, you know, you need Jesus, girl, you told them, hey, can I pray for you? Oh, I, I knew I was going to get, I'm going to talk to this side of here. I know. What if we offered and released power through prayer just by offering it to them? I remember there was a young man that I used to work with. I used to work for a Fortune 500 company. Relax, it was easy pass, but it just sounds better when you say Fortune <laughs> 500 company. And um, <laughs> uh, humble brag. Anyway, um, and I remember there was a young man that ne never really took um, my relationship with God seriously, kind of like just maybe would even joke at times of some of the things I would say regarding my faith. Um, and he would say things like, yo, the church ain't for me. I, pff, that's not for me. Like, I can't. Nope. I don't want nothing to do with the church. And I remember I used to be like, hey, it's okay, man. Like, you might not believe in God, but God believes in you. There's things I would say like that. And, and, and I remember one time he had, a he had a loss in the family that really, 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 really pierced his heart. And unexpectedly he came up to me. He said, hey, bro, you know I've never done this with you. And I, I worked with him maybe about four or five years. He goes, well, can you do me a favor? Can you just pray for me? Come on, somebody. I said, boy, I've been waiting for this day. I didn't act like that, but on the inside. And I began to pray for that young man and release power and authority. Come on, evangelism doesn't have to be spooky. It doesn't have to be scary. You have been given power and authority. Can someone shout amen in this place? Here's the second one. The second one is the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation, write that down, the proclamation of the gospel. Mark 16, verse 15, reads, he said to them, go into the world and preach. Here it goes. What do you need to preach? The gospel. You need to preach the gospel to all creation. Now, let me give you an example. If John right now, I say, hey, John, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to, I need you to send, I need you to go to Reuben. And I need you to tell him these three things. I need you to go to Pastor Ruben and tell him these three things. Say, say, Pastor Ro loves you. Pastor Ro believes in you. And Pastor Ro wants to meet you at 7 p.m. at Red Robin. Come on, somebody. Red Robin. Wow. That's the message that I gave John to pass on to Pastor Ruben. Well, John goes up to Pastor Reuben. He says, hey, man, uh, I got a message from Pastor Rowe. And let me just tell you, Pastor Rowe is an amazing guy. He's incredibly, he's tall, light, and handsome. I got a fan. Security, please. Please call on down. Everybody stood shut, baby, because they're scared of you. I'm just sorry. All the ladies looked down. They were like, no, Pastor Rowe. He goes up to Reuben and says, hey, Reuben, uh, Pastor Rowe has a message, and he's just a great guy. He has amazing kids. He has an amazing wife. How many of you know that he shared some truth, but he didn't share the message that I gave him? So I need you, I need you to understand this. Why? Because God has given us a specific message, and I think sometimes we have altered and we have added and we have removed things from the specific message. Now, why is this important? The reason that this is important, listen to this, watch this. Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says that this message that we've been entrusted in has a unique power. So the message of the gospel, in its purity, I don't know what's happening to the mic, but just keeps moving. It was good. 
Um, the message of the gospel in its purity, look what the Apostle Paul says about it. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, the reason that he's saying is not, I'm not ashamed is because this message of the gospel wasn't a popular message at the time. It actually went against all they believed. The message of the gospel during this time was a message that went and it wasn't popular. In other words, in the known world at the time, what they believed was in contrary to the, the gospel. And here the apostle Paul has the audacity to say, hey, listen, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed to let you know that Jesus loves you no matter what. I'm not ashamed to let you know that God has forgiven all your sins and you don't need to have any sacrifices. I'm not ashamed to let you know that God got a purpose for your life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. But here's why. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, so the, the gospel is the unique message that God has given his church to bring forth salvation to anyone who believes. And I think what happens is, what I've realized is that so many people have shrunk back when it comes to sharing their faith because we've overcomplicated the message. Okay? So we've overcomplicated the message. We've added our opinions. We've added pieces that we've collected along the way. And ultimately what has happened with the gospel is that we've diluted the gospel to be a message that was once about transforming power to be a set of rules that produce self-help performance. And what the apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, God has entrusted us a message. He's entrusted us a unique message, and this unique message by itself, simply by the proclamation of this unique message, it has power. It doesn't need you to add your flavor. It has power. It doesn't need to add your opinion. It has power, and when you share this unique message, it'll produce salvation in the life of people. And I think what happens is in the modern-day evangelism that has been passed down through church and churchianity, oftentimes we don't see any conversions is because what we're sharing is things that may be true, but they are not the gospel. Those things may be true, but they're not the gospel. And what he said to, to communicate to the known world is the gospel. To communicate to those that know, don't know Jesus is the gospel. Because that unique message has the power to bring salvation to those who believe. And so if we're sharing something else that may be true, but is not the gospel, does it sustain the power that the gospel uniquely uh, uh, holds to produce salvation? No. So sometimes I think that we're, we're sharing the wrong message with the people that God wants us to bring back home. Someone shout the gospel. gospel. And so when, when, when we look at the gospel, the original language is this Greek word. And the word is euangelion. Everybody shout euangelion. Now, again, I want to teach you guys today. So this word euangelion is a word that was used over and over in the New Testament. It simply means this. Everybody shout good news. The gospel means, euangelion means good news. Now, the thing about good news is that it, it's really such a strong and powerful word that it's not used outside of the, the, the biblical literature, outside in historical literature, maybe about two to three times. Why? Because it's very rarely you can use the word euangelion to mean something because it, it means more than good news. It, it means, many scholars believe that the word euangelion means something along these lines. 
the nearly too good to be true news. Okay, so when you hear the word gospel, the impression that people had when they heard the gospel was this understanding. It's the nearly too good to be true. You ever heard someone, something that was, it was just too good to be true? You know what I mean? Come on, somebody. Like you met him, you met her, and be like, nah, this is too good to be true right here. And usually, and you know what? Usually it is. But when it comes to the gospel, that's why it's the nearly too good to be true news. Because it is as good as, it, as good can get. So, so when the word euangelion communicates to us that we have received the nearly too good to be true news. So what is the gospel? Well, let me explain firstly what the gospel is not. I want to clarify some misnomers. And again, I want you to search this through the scriptures as we begin to understand the gospel. I want us to, I want us to you're going to hear some things that maybe have been passed down through churchianity. But that's okay, because here, here we are. We're going back to the recipe. We're going back to the originators. We're going back to the original recipe. We're going to find out why they cut in this piece of ham when we get, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to find out. Here, here's what the gospel isn't. The gospel is not about preaching the wrath of God and God's judgment with, over humanity. It's not that. That is not the gospel. Now, not to say that those things are not true. What I'm saying is that that is not included in the gospel message. Okay, you following me? The gospel is not telling people the standard of living is holiness. That is not the gospel. Those things may be true, but it's not the message that he's called us to preach to a world that doesn't know him. Telling people how, oh, this is going to hurt somebody. Telling people how sinful they are is not the gospel. Now, those things may be true, but it's not the gospel message. Okay, so I need you to follow that. It's not the gospel message. The apostle Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the gospel that brings salvation. Here's another thing that's not the gospel. It might be true, but it's not the gospel. Repentance. When you tell someone to repent, that's not the gospel. I need you to understand that. According to the Holy Scriptures in the New Testament and the writers of the New Testament, the gospel is not telling people to, the, to repent. Well, Pastor O, Peter's first message ever, he preached on repentance. That is not true. Peter never preached on repentance. Whew, okay, here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. What happens is that the Holy Spirit fills the room. They get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, when they began to speak in tongues, you know what they translated those tongues to be? It said the goodness of God, all the good things that God has done. In other words, when people were speaking in tongues, you know what they were speaking, Sam? The goodness of God. And they said that they began to hear in their language all the good things that God had done. Come on, somebody. And when that happened, Peter began to preach, and he begins to speak about the promises of God through Joel. And he begins the promises of God through David. And he speaks about the death and the burial of the resurrection. And then look what happens in Acts chapter 37. Look what it says. And when the people heard this, what did they hear? They heard the gospel. They heard about David pointing to Jesus. They heard about the prophetic promises that were fulfilled now in Jesus. They heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When they heard this, they were what? They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, 
repent and be baptized. Can I tell you, repentance is not a message. It's a response to the gospel. Repentance is not a message that we preach. It's a response that we have when God's word and the gospel pierces our hearts. What is, the, what, is the, what is the natural response of a heart that's been pierced with the gospel? It is repentance. For Romans chapter 3 says, it is the goodness. My friends, don't you, do you not know that it's been the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? You don't preach repentance to lead people to repentance. You preach the gospel and the goodness of God. And that, my friends, begins to lead people to repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance is a word, metania, in the original Greek that means change your mind. It means to turn around. It, turn around. it means an about face. So what happens? The Bible says that Jesus came to earth and he turned us away from wickedness. In other words, you don't possess the power to repent by yourself. Religion teaches you how to turn away from your sin. There's plenty of religions other than under the sun that show you how to turn away from your sin. You know what the Pharisees did? They turned away from their sins. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't turn to Jesus. So repentance under the new covenant is actually turning to Jesus. It's turning to God's goodness. And I want to tell you, my friends, that maybe you're struggling with sin right now. Can I just remind you that it's the goodness of God that's going to steer you away from your sin. It's the goodness of God that's going to steer you away from your failures, from your mistakes, from your history. It's the goodness of God. It is not condemnation. It is not rejection. It is God's goodness. So, so, so and, and this is what I love because, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, this is what I love when, you know, just... Certain group of people knock at my house on Saturday mornings uh, too early because I'll be like, I'm tired. And they'll come in, oh, just like I get excited. You know why I get excited? Because I have power. And it's not my own power. It's like I know I have power. I have a unique power that brings salvation. And when, and, and when they come to my house and they're like, hey, can I just share with you about the kingdom? And I'm like, yeah, sure, what's up? And they just share with me things. I say, can you do me a favor? Can you just share with me the gospel? Well, what do you want to hear? I just want to hear the gospel. Can you just share with me the gospel? Okay, well, this is, you know, I want you to come to, to our, our, our meetings and let me tell you about the kingdom and what's going to happen in the future. And I know, I know, but I want to, I want to, I want to go to heaven. I just, want to, I just want to have a relationship with Jesus. Can you show me how to do it? Can you share with me the gospel? And they share six, seven eight different things and I say okay so like I go back to them and I repeat it to them I say okay so you said about kingdom you said about you know the bible studies you said about you know the end of the age about okay I, I get it I got you that's how I get saved well we're still not sure but that's how you can try I said okay I understand so let me let me just share something with you okay let me take you to first Corinthians chapter 15 first Corinthians chapter 15 tells me what the gospel is and Paul constantly preached a three-point sermon. And this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us. Look at this. Can we put that up? It says, Jesus Christ died for our sins. It's right after the next slide after that verse. First Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, everything about the scriptures was designated and created to point to Jesus. 
When Jesus spoke about the scriptures, he pointed them to himself. In the world to Emmaus, he says, and these scriptures are about me. When he's in the temple in Isaiah, he reads Isaiah, and he says, and this scripture was fulfilled with me. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, the scriptures give you salvation knowledge that points to Jesus. A wisdom, a unique wisdom that that points you to Jesus. So this is Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ was buried and was raised up on the third day. And Jesus Christ has appeared to you. So I share that with them. I show them, like, this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. And by the way, guys, the Apostle Paul, look at me. Apostle Paul says, this is of most importance. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ was buried and he was raised up on the third day. And Jesus Christ has appeared to you. So then I share that with them and I go, okay, now let's take you to Galatians. Galatians says, even if an angel comes at your doorstep preaching you a different gospel, let them be accursed. I said, my sister, I love you. But you've come to my doorstep and told me seven different things that are not the gospel. Oh, my God. Well, now let me introduce you to the love of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Can I tell you, my friends, listen, the gospel is more about God's goodness than it is about your badness. The gospel is more about God's faithfulness than it is about your unfaithfulness. The gospel is more about what God has done for humanity than what humanity has done for God. The gospel is the power of God that leads unto salvation. Let me give you the last point here. It's personal testimony personal testimony and Maylene's going to be preaching in two weeks come on somebody and she's going to share she's going to unpack this a little bit more but here's what I want to share about your testimony would you imagine what this city would look like if we walked with power and not just information serious would you imagine what your life would look like if we had the right message do you know that everything about your relationship with God is grounded in the gospel message? And so if your gospel message is distorted, oftentimes you will function in a distorted way. Can we just lower some of the background? You will function because your faith is connected to more performance than it is about your faith in the gospel. I'm telling you, the gospel is the secret. The Apostle Paul, when they tell him, he preached the gospel so unadulterated that four times he has to address, shall we continue to sin so that grace will abound all the more? He preached this so much that people were wondering if they could sin. Can I just say this? If people are not asking if they could sin, you, we may not be preaching the gospel message to the degree that the Apostle Paul was preaching it. Because he had to clarify it over and over and over again. You know, growing up, I never had to ask that. I knew. I knew I couldn't sin. I knew I could There were sins, even the sins I didn't know I committed. Come on, you had to pray for those too. So, sins of omission. Come on. Lord, if I, Lord, and if, and if you come, Lord, just take me with you. Come on, somebody. Paul had to address it several times. But you know what he says? He goes back to the gospel message. You know what Peter goes? Peter says, Peter says, if you lack any of these patience, love, kindness, virtue, he says, if you lack any of those, you may have forgotten that your sins have been forgiven. It's the secret. The gospel message is the secret. 
It's like, yeah, man, you, you need to get a greater revelation of the gospel. That Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins needs to be enough for you. And that, my friends, is what gives you a testimony. And that's why I love this man that was encountered by Jesus in John chapter 9. They were like, hey, man, who sinned? His sin, his, is he blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? And many people think that that's a dumb question, but in the religious paradigm of, the, of that time, there was an understanding that even in the womb, sins could be passed down. He was born that way. And Jesus says, it didn't happen because of any of these. It happened so that my power would be demonstrated in his life. And now this man is healed from being blind. John, you can take this, I'm good, or whoever. He's healed. And I love it because the Pharisees approach him. Hey, 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 who healed you? Who healed you, Carmen? Who healed you? And he's like, ah, I was blind, so I didn't, get, I didn't see him. And by the time he opened my eyes, I was gone. He was gone. He goes, I don't really know. But I know this. I once was blind. And now I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? He's like, I, I, listen, I, yo no sé. Pero lo que yo sé es que una vez yo estaba ciego y ahora yo puedo ver. I once was blind, but now I see. You know what the most underrated promotion there is? Is your testimony. I think the most underpromoted thing that we have is our testimony. Let me tell you, people can out-debate you. People can take away so many things from you. You know what they can't take away from you? What God has done in your life. They can't take away your testimony. So listen, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is the I don't know, but here's what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. I was once a drug addict, but now I've been set free. I was once stuck in porn for 10 years, but now I've been set What would our evangelism look like if we walked in power, if we had the actual message? Oh, Pastor Roll, how, how do you, how could you believe in the Bible? How could Noah have filled all those animals in the boat? I don't know, man. Do dinosaurs exist? I do not know. But I once was blind. And now I see. We walk with the message. I know that Jesus Christ died for me. I know that he resurrected to give me new life. And he showed up in my heart and gave me a new desire with new spirit and new things in the book. I once was blind, but I was. Can you stand up on your feet, everybody in this room? Come on, stand up. So, so. December 3rd, December 3rd, we're making a big ask. We've been praying for three people. I've been praying for three people. I have it on my refrigerator. We have a list. If you need this prayer card, can I just share this with you? Before we finish, before we finish, 
I want you to write three people's name down and I want you to just pray for them. I'm talking about pray for the impossible. Last year, I put my brother. My brother's finishing Matrix this year. Come on, somebody. I put my brother. It takes time, but it'll happen. Pray, pray, pray. And then we're going to ask them to come to our friends and family Sunday. And look, can I give you an easy one? Yo, Emily, I want you to come to my friends and family. Are you willing to come? I got you tickets. Don't worry. I took care of it for you. So we have tickets so that you can invite someone to a free potluck. Come on, somebody. A potluck, but, you know, we're making all the food. You ain't got to bring Jack. All right? We're going to bring all the food, and we're going to feed every single person that comes. Come on, somebody. We can celebrate and have this Friendsgiving together. And here's what I believe is going to happen. I'm going to share the gospel. When I share the gospel and we bow our heads to pray, I'm going to give each of you permission to look at your invited guest and see them encounter the love of God for themselves. Because we got to praise in this room. Bow your heads wherever you are. Wherever you are, close your eyes. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you have spoken to our hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you that today we went back to the original recipe and we saw the secret of Peter, of Paul, James, and John. We saw the secret of sharing our faith. Lord, help us remind, be remember, help us remember today that we have power of the Holy Spirit, that you've given of us a specific message that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He gave his life. He lived the life that we could not live, died the death we should have died. And now he resurrected and is sitting at the right hand of God. You've given us that specific message. He appeared to us all. And now we have a testimony. Open the door so that we can share what you have done in our life. Hey, if you want to place your faith in Jesus today, can we lower it down completely? Thank you. If you're in this place, I'm speaking to everybody and watch those that are watching online. And you heard this message. And you say, Pastor, I don't know what it is, but something on the inside of me has come alive. Something, something on the inside of me has activated. I just want to tell you what that somebody is. It's the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to have all the answers today, but I just want, you, I want to give an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel today. As we shared, that the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for you. Every single one of your sins has been put in the past. There's nothing you can do or not do to change God's heart for you. That he resurrected to give you new life and that he wants to encounter you today. And so what we say is that when we respond to the gospel, it's this word that the Bible uses, repentance. It's metanoia. It says, hey, I'm turning to Jesus. I'm coming back home. It's the picture of the prodigal son. I'm coming back home. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. And if you're watching online, I want you to do the same at the count of three. One, two, three. Lift every hand all over the room. There you go. And I want you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness of sins. I believe you died for me and rose again. Thank you for making me a new creation. In Christ Jesus, I give you my life. Amen and amen. Can we give God a praise in this room?